Like the only question I could get out was, is it fatal? That was the voice of Keisha, who relinquished a career in the Washington State Patrol when God told her there was something or someone more important to take care of. Hello, and welcome to the Hill Stories podcast, a space to tell the God stories unique to the people at Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church in Gig Harbor, Washington. I'm your host, David Wilson. Today we're sitting down with Paul and Keisha Conan, and they have a unique story to tell that's all their own. First of all, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourselves? Well, I grew up at Chapel Hill. My family's been going there shortly after it was founded. My parents were married there. I grew up as just a little infant in the nursery all the way up till now. And so uh, Chapel Hill and my faith has been a big, strong piece of my life that whole time. And it turns out it's a huge part of our story, and that's where ultimately uh, we met and fell in love, chose to get married in the same chapel that his parents got married in, and almost coming up on six years now. Mm-hmm. And who else do we have with us? This is Ruth. Say hi, hi Ruth. Oh, are you waving, Ruth? Good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, Ruth is kind of central to your story today. She is. Most definitely. She is the, the centerpiece of, the, of God showing up through this story. Yes, so we found out November of 2017 that we were going to have a little baby and everything was exciting and we decided to share with our families early on at Christmas that year and all looked well and was in March. Uh, We had a checkup and it was discovered that she uh, potentially only had one kidney and We did some investigation and some research, and it wasn't that uncommon. We actually found people that had found out years later that they only had one kidney and never know. So we said, okay, well, we'll just kind of put this before God and just say, hey, if that's your plan. But you could also show up with another kidney. Like, we want to just leave that out there of maybe when she's born, she has two kidneys. And they just, you know, wasn't there, and then it is there. So we kind of took that in of like, hey, God's got this. Like, mm-hmm. and just were, were pretty comfortable in that spot and just said, yeah, we're good with this. And that launched us into the more monitoring for the rest of the pregnancy. Uh, and we had a great care team the whole time and everything else was uh, measuring, appearing healthy and strong. We found out it was a little girl. We couldn't have been more excited. Huh. And then... My final ultrasound was at 36 weeks. And again, everything else, we still weren't sure about the kidney, but everything else was looking good. Um, I was still healthy and strong, and we went into labor a few days after her anticipated due date. And again, everything was going well. Um, I was feeling good. The monitoring her was going well. And then things seemed to slow down a bit. Keisha was in labor for a few days, yeah. and as we monitored everything, and every, everything was looking good, the vital signs and everything were looking good, and then when we started to see a change, we said, okay, we need to do differently here. We're going to mix this. The original plan to, you know, plan probably D or E or F, 
and uh, went to the ended up at TG in the emergency room, which is another spot that was where God kind of first glimpse of God's work of we show up on a Saturday night at it was about 9 o'clock p.m. on a Saturday night at TG, and there's not a single person in the waiting room in the in the ER. Like we walk straight up to the front. They were we waiting for you. Oh, they they were. And like our medical provider had called ahead, so they were waiting for us. But there was literally nobody there, and it was all the staff just said, "Okay, let's go straight back." And we went back, and right at that point is when all of a sudden Keisha said, "Hey, do you have a blanket? I feel cold." And so we started to think, "Okay, we might have a problem." So we went back. They came down, did a couple checks. The doctor came in. It only been hadn't been very long, a few minutes, you know, 10, 15 minutes, and he came in and said, I think we need to go in and do an emergency C-section. And so we kind of said, okay, and Keisha said, well, when you say, like, soon, like, how soon are you thinking? And he said, I'll have you, I'll have you open in 20 minutes. And that's when the shock set in initially, like, uh-oh, okay. And I think I initially broke down. So I was like, okay, this is not what our desire was. This is not what we had planned. And after a few moments, uh, we turned into prayer right away. Just said, right. okay, this is, is this what we need to do? And decided that it was definitely the, the best choice for us. It was plan Z on our list of plans. <laughs> uh, and we, you know, I turned to the doctor and said, because I was planning to be really involved. You know, I'm a firefighter EMT. I'm... I deliver babies at work. I didn't want to do it all by myself or anything, but I wanted to be involved. And so I asked the doctor, just said, hey, I'd like to still be involved. And he said, well, that's fine with me, but it's up to the anesthesiologist. And so I said, well, who's the anesthesiologist on call? And so he told me who it was. And I said, well, tell him that Paul Conan's going to be standing next to him. And it was a guy that's connected through Chapel Hill and came back and said, yep, no problem. So Dr. Bautirsa was the anesthesiologist. And so it was just nice once we kind of got, they got all scrubbed in, I did my scrub it in, and we came in, it was nice to have a familiar face that was there. And he said, I got this part, you do your thing. At this point, it was still just a matter of taking care of Keisha. Yeah. You didn't know anything different at that point in time. Right now it's just like, okay, you know, and this is, I, I work in the emergency medical field. This is, we just do the next step. This is no problem. Like we just do this and then everything's good. And that was kind of where we were. So we said, okay, we'll do an emergency C-section. This was not the original plan, but it'll be fine. We'll have our baby girl and life will be, you know, we'll go back to normal. There's a little more recovery, but that's what we got to work with. So. Keisha's there, they've got her all prepped, and they basically, because it's emergency C-section, you know, they get in right away. There's no wasting any time, and out comes Ruth, and there's a NICU team there, led by a nurse practitioner, that they're there, and they said, just in case there's an issue, they're ready to kind of take over. And so it comes out, and I've delivered a few babies, and I was like, well, she doesn't look great. That's not what I'd like to see, but... They bring her over and they immediately start working on her. There's no CPR or anything, but they're helping her breathe. And 
then Dr. Bautista said, hey, you're good if you need to go over, you know, because they said, okay, we're ready. And so I went over to kind of be with Ruth. We're right next to Keisha, but they're still assisting her with breathing. And we can see that things are not exactly what we expected them to be. We had previously uh, discussed if things don't go as we'd hoped, that Paul stays with Ruth regardless. When it, and that was easier for me in that we had already talked about it. I didn't know the rest of the doctors because it was a different emergency team, except Dr. Bautirsa, who's right next to Keisha's head. And so I said, hey, he will take good care of you. I know where he lives. He'll take care of you. <laughs> and so he said, no, go. I got it. And so that just took a lot off. And so then we immediately took Ruth. Uh, she was starting to breathe a little bit on her own, but they're still assisting and headed over to the elevators up to the NICU where we started doing work on just figuring out what was going on and all those things. So then we go through all this, they start doing all their testing and everything else. And that was where I was pretty adamant about, I'm gonna stay with Ruth, that's part of the deal. And so the staff quickly figured out that I wasn't going. And since I had a little bit of medical background, they let me basically scrub in and be next to her for everything that happened okay. over the next you know, 10 days, 11 days in the NICU. Okay, that's a long time. Yeah. yeah. Why did it work out to be 10 or 11 days? Well, that was actually 14 total in the NICU. Yes, that's right. Well, the first... 48 to 72 hours are a bit of a blur for me because I was in recovery. Okay. And so I was only able to come down. They let me on my way to recovery swing by her room and I remember touching her foot. And I thought I touched her hand, and but I couldn't remember it until I looked back over some pictures that someone had taken and I did touch her hand. It's like, okay, you're going to be okay. Uh, but then over the next two days, I could only come down for a few minutes every few hours. Um. So for those first few days, because Keisha was kind of up in recovery and coming back and forth in between, I stayed with Ruth and then, you know, would maybe run up there to get her and bring her down, basically, if there wasn't a nurse available to do it, to help her with that. Uh, initially, they weren't sure what, what was going on because everything was normal up until that point. And, uh, she wasn't responding to different tests as they, as they expected. And as they ran more blood work, they found that her sodium levels were record lows. Like the, one of the neonate doctors that was there said, I've never seen it that low. So I called his mentor, who's been doing it for 40 years, and he'd never heard of a number that low. Wow. And so they said, so we need to be really careful over these first few days of bringing that up slowly. And so then you've got the pharmaceutical staff, like our, all the pharmacists are there figuring out, okay, how do we do this slowly, but we need to do it, we need to do it quickly, but slowly, in that if you do it too quickly, you'll cause seizures and you can cause other issues. If you do it too slowly, it can cause seizures and other issues. And so... Rock in a hard place. I, exactly. And so, and none of it's good news that you like to hear. And, and I will say... Through this whole thing, I just felt a complete peace. Like I wasn't frantic, it was just like, okay, we know what to do, like God's got this. Unlike any other time in my life. Like, just, okay, God's got this. 
show up with the next thing and we 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 figure out what to do next but God's got this taken care of and he just showed up throughout that whole thing of like okay what's we'll take care of the next thing and so it was day well um in the middle of that when Ruth was first in the NICU one of her nurses right the first the first morning so this happened at night the first morning they do the shift change I'm asleep you know on the chair bed that they have in a room mm-hmm. and totally God's intervention of Charlene England walks in oh wow and she says gives me a big hug we cry a little bit and then she says, you know, I said, what are you doing here? This whole thing. And she's like, I'm assigned to you today. Like, I just showed up and I'm assigned to you. And so it was very cool to have somebody that we knew and trusted. I tr- would trust all of them in there, but it's somebody that I know. And so that God just provided like that and over and over again. And she'll hear throughout the whole story of providing again and again and again. And so she was able to then say, okay, this is what's going on. And these are the questions you probably have. Let's get into that. And so just from the start of, okay, there's another person that we know. Now it worked out that it's not typical in the NICU for the nurse to know the family. Mm -hmm. And so she actually moved to a different, so she still was there. She just wasn't our nurse after that first day, but it was a huge deal for us that first day. And that was one of the first ways God showed up. The second day, uh, in the midst of her nightly uh, wellness check, uh, she had finally opened her eyes for the first time and was kind of staring off blankly. So they were concerned about uh that she may be having seizures or something else. So they brought in the neurologist to do an EEG. So we ended up hooked up to this EEG for 24 hours, which means then you, and it's got a video camera on it. So you can't touch her except during care time, which is just the ultimate insult, like of being there. Like, and so you basically, we're just like right next to her and with her, but we can't touch her except every four hours. We, we rarely left. But then they found in that, they found, yes, she was having seizures. And so they put her on medication to stop the seizure. Then it stabilized. She ended up having to be on the medication for six months, uh, but was able to wean back off and didn't have any more issues after that. But that was kind of the start of, okay, there's another little hiccup, but God's got this. Like he's provided, we're, we're going to go through this. And so she progressed to get better and better. Well, and then I was up in recovery for, like I said, the first three days. and But it was really, really important to me to nurse her. It was really important that I had that opportunity to bond. And knowing that we had the first few days apart, I just was really hopeful that we would still be able to work it out together. Because uh, she was on a feeding tube those first few days several days um so i was putting my work in and time in on a pump and waiting for things to happen and but one of the goals in order to be discharged was uh that ruth would consume a certain amount 
And that meant I needed to produce a certain amount. Mm. And so uh, it was very slow at first. And so we sent out some prayer requests for milk supply and friends brought great cookies <laughs> to help with that. And I remember one of, one of Paul's friends who was praying for us like, well, there was a lot of stuff going on at work at the same time that a uh, police officer had been killed. And so there was a lot of stress and we're talking like the week of this. So everything's hitting the fan and he had reached out and just, and he was really struggling now that we know more. He was really struggling to say, is there anything I could do? And we said, hey, you know, pray for milk production. And he said, I don't pray very much, but okay. I will tell you that he is a good friend of mine. And he still talks about that because God answered that prayer. And I tell him like, lots of people prayed, but I think it was yours because, and he still claims that of just like, now I pray all the time because I didn't know. And I said, well, it's not just a, you know, hey, here's your answer. <laughs> but it was a pretty cool witness to in the midst of all of this. Mm -hmm. uh, and so as our milk that was donated dwindled down and we got to the last pack and we put it in the machine. Of the good of stuff. the good stuff that we was donated. We had plenty of other donated, but... Yeah, the really good stuff. When that one ran out, the next time Keisha pumped, she pumped the exact amount that she was supposed to have. Mm. Like yeah. from hardly anything. From to, literally like 10 milliliters to 80. And we're talking the same day. Yes. And Ruth was, Ruth and I were able to connect easily. And mm -hmm. that was a smooth journey and continues to be. Right. <laughs> now, from the beginning, from the moment that you stepped into the ER, you have had God next to you each step of the way. Sometimes you felt it, sometimes you saw it, sometimes you didn't realize it till afterwards. But at this point in time in the story, you're still not out of the woods. What's the next step in this? Yeah, we're still deep in it, but I still have this peace. And I, both Keisha and I have just this peace of we're not stressed, which looking back on it, we, I look at it like, how is that? That is God. Like mm -hmm. there is no other explanation. And so we're still in the midst of everything, uh, but just had this overwhelming peace and mm -hmm. people reaching out to us. Uh, we had still kind of held it close to, you know, held our cards close to our chest and like asked for prayers, but didn't want to be too specific. And so uh, that was up until day 10. Mm -hmm. That was kind of where we were operating. So part of the getting home one was the nursing one was the oxygen and then they have just these checklist protocols to do um and one of those was an mri because of the seizure mm -hmm. on that second day uh at this point as keisha said we're just we're, we're checking off all the boxes as anybody that's been in the NICU once you kind of make it a little bit further okay what do i got to do to get out of this place mm -hmm. as great as these people are i don't want to be here anymore and Doctor comes in, that's a neurologist, that's not the one that we've seen before. And he comes in and says, oh, well, we have the images back from the one this morning. Would you like to take a look at them? Okay, that'd be fine. You know, let's, let's look at them. He, first, he starts off by saying, oh, these are great images. And so 
my hopes are up because you tell me there's great they're great images and then he proceeds to click through them and show me on the image how well it seems it looks like the outer rim around the brain and then the in the middle this is all dead and it's just you're in shock like what and he says well it's and then he says it's right and i was like how's this a good image he's like well the quality's good and then i thought okay we got a disconnect here like what am i seeing and so he proceeds to tell us that she has severe brain damage and we're in shock of just you know like mm -hmm. just asking questions like okay what does this mean like the only question i could get out was is it fatal that's yeah. the only thing i could think to ask and he said no and from there on i was still in shock but i was like okay okay god this is still yours and he proceeded to say uh, some things that she shouldn't, he, he flat out said, don't expect her to breastfeed. And then we said, well, she's been nursing, she's been exclusively breastfed for two and a half days. And he said, well, that doesn't make sense. I, I can't explain that. She shouldn't be able to do that. So we had already. She's already doing that. And I had mentioned, I said, hey, one of my business partners, his son was born missing half of his brain. You know, he does really well. He just graduated from high school and a special program, doing really well. And he turns to me and says, well, I wouldn't expect your daughter to be able to do that. And that was when things changed for me that I was still in shock. I am a very relaxed, mellow guy. And he said, well, is there any other questions? And I said, no, and I think you need to leave. And the nurse looked over and grabbed him and said, yes, we need to leave. Mm -hmm. he, he spoke some uh, very heartbreaking words about her future. And uh, thankfully, we have some amazing prayer warriors who showed up right away and just said, God has the final say in her life. Those words have no place here. And we do not live inside of those words. We live inside of the hope that God has given us for her life. And... Almost two weeks ago, she took her first steps. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. And so we... And, and hold on. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so it's different. Like people will say like, oh, she's walking. That's great. Uh, no, you don't get it. Like every time she does anything, it's, you know, it's her job to prove that doctor wrong. <laughs> I, I don't want to focus on the neurologist, but... His presence was so unexpected, pivotal, and out of the realm of everything you had experienced to that point. Agreed. Mm -hmm. So you know, why was he there in the first place? Do you have any thoughts about that particular pivotal point? I, I do have a few thoughts. So he came, he delivered that. I think it was good that it wasn't our regular doctor because that would have ruined that relationship with him. Okay. Uh, the other thing is after we got home with Ruth, I shared with a good uh, friend that's like a mentor, like an older sister, was one of my youth leaders. And we shared the story. And she said, God's calling you to forgive that doctor, which was really hard when you're talking like that was like six days ago. Like, you want me to forgive him? And it took a little while to get to where I had to forgive him. Now... When we fast forward to Ruth is two months old, we go in to do the birth to three testing. And because the NICU set us up with everything and said, oh, she's going to need all these things. 
And when we go to do the testing, my prayer is that she flunks the test, like that they look at it and go, oh, she doesn't qualify for anything. Like, she's great. So we go do the test and they come back to the house, they give us the results and I read it. And I said, well, it looks like she passed everything. And they said, well, yes. And technically she doesn't qualify for any services. But because of the diagnosis that was given by that neurologist in the NICU, you qualify for all services. Wow. And it was like, oh, you got me there. <laughs> you know, God's already thinking ahead. So that's very interesting. God works in mysterious ways. And... In, and that's the beauty of, in hindsight, we can go back and see all the spots where God was touching in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. Which, when we, you know, we continued on after that news, it didn't change anything. You know, we left a few days later from the NICU. All of the doctors and nurses, we built some great relationships. <laughs> That's what Roots thinks. <laughs> uh, we had people knew that we were a family of faith and a strong presence, and so nurses would come back and check in with us, and people would check in just to see how we're doing. And before we left, all the doctors said, "Hey, forget what that guy said." It all matters about what you do from now to age three, and then to age five, and then to age 18. And so that diagnosis changed how we kind of looked at, you know, our master plan that we thought we had checked with God. (laughs) And he kind of mixed it up a little bit and just said, hey, it would be better if one of you stayed home. Mm -hmm. And he had provided the resources so that we could do that. So I grieved my career, and then... Turn in my resignation. Haven't looked back since I resigned. I looked back before that resignation date <laughs> a little bit, but uh, that was a year ago. The resignation date was a year ago. Yes, huh? And it was literally the morning after her resignation date that she woke up and said, nope, I'm not supposed to go back. Up until then, she wasn't sure. And then, and it's made all the difference. Do you have any overarching things that you have learned from this. I mean, you you just said that you're a family of faith, and that's obvious, and you have been from the beginning, and your experience with Chapel Hill and being married there and seeing you and you know at services and, and just the, the joy that you have working with different people and doing different things at church. But is there something that has been added to your faith? Is there another layer of understanding of how God works that you've taken from this experience? Yes. <laughs> uh, I think for me is I am much more comfortable in my faith. And by that, I mean, it is just a natural instinct where before I feel like it was a, it was a constant battle of making sure, okay, yeah, I got to have faith in this. I got to do this. Where that was a pivotal time where it really deep down switched to operating from, okay, God's got this. You know, this is God's plan. You know, much, you know, 10 years ago, I switched from working in the finance world to become a firefighter. And every everybody asked me, why would you do that? And I said, well, God called me to do it. I was actually literally on top of a mountain at 15,129 feet in the Himalayas in India. And heard God's call, you're supposed to go do this. And everybody said, well, how could you do it? And I was like, 
that's where I learned that the safest place for me to be and the best place for me is where God calls me to be. If I don't follow that, if I don't do what God called me to do, I'm in trouble. And our call was Ruth, and we're just supposed to lean on him, and he showed up again and again and again, and it was like, oh, that makes it that much easier. So then it really took root of, you know, I'd had instances and all that, but then that's when it really, for me, personally, took took root of now I operate from that. Now it doesn't mean I'm perfect all the time or anything like that, but it had changed my perspective from striving for that to striving to stay there. Keisha. I remember December of 2018 was the week after Christmas or the church service after Christmas. And so Ruth had other health things have shown up since then for her that we have um, been able to address and we have uh, God has brought the right people and the right team into our lives to support her and made a way for uh, with our schedules and me resigning to be available um, to do all these things for her and one of the things was they wanted to do another CT scan uh, because she her head is is very very small and so there was some concern about some sutures closing too early. And um, so they, they wanted to do some more imaging. And we wrestled with that and ultimately decided that uh, it was a good idea. And so we had a CT scan done and we were awaiting the results and kind of wrestling with the what if. And... Pastor Bill was preaching, and I don't even know what the sermon was on, but he gave us John 9-3, and we looked at each other as soon as he spoke those words and like just teared up in the middle of Saturday night service because John 9-3, the end of it says, these things happened so that God would be glorified through him and we through her, and it just spoke to us, and we just clung to that. And then fast forward, I think it was within a couple of days later, we got the CT results and uh, it showed that her sutures were fine. But what it also showed was that uh, the brain injury was now graded as moderate, whereas originally it was severe. And so we just looked at that in awe of in less than six months, we, we know he's healing her. You know, we get to see these physical manifestations of miracles in her nursing, in her taking steps, uh, you know, in her desire to do these things. And then to just have that image confirm, you know, to us that was just another godsend miracle. <laughs> it's pretty sweet to have, as bad as the imaging might be, mm -hmm. to have physical evidence of a miracle. That's a good point. <laughs> we don't always have concrete evidence. Right? Mm -hmm. Where we could, I could show you images that say severe, and I could show you images that say moderate. Mm -hmm. Now, I think there's very little damage left. Uh, as she is, she understands, she does everything, and, you know, she is, you know, she's a rock star. So when Ruth was really small, it was kind of, it was a weird thing, but it totally was, 
You're one of those weird things that you're like, this feels like a God deal. So back up a little bit. You're, you're going to have to put this all together. So <laughs> in the hospital, we, we, were given, um, we were given a book for Ruth. And one of the first pages in it has Psalm 9111. And so given our professions, like that just really resonated with us. And it's for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. And so that's the verse that we have chosen for Ruth. And so then, so that's pretty much been since day one, that has been her verse. That was her scripture for her baptism. And, and so in the middle of all of this. We're coming from a doctor's appointment. We stop at the, the food court at the mall to get something to eat because we just... With all the stress and everything else, we can't figure out what we want to eat. So we're like, we'll go to the food court and we get multiple choices. And so I'm sitting there with Ruth is in her uh, jogger stroller and Keisha goes to get something to eat. And this woman that works there that's cleaning that uh, comes over and she sees Ruth and she looks and smiles and talks to us. And Ruth still does this a little bit now, but she did a lot when she was really small is she would look off in different spots. You know, and it, there's a lot of speculation on what that means and everything else. And this woman, like young woman says, you know Jesus. And I, yes, we do know Jesus. And she looks at Ruth and says, she sees angels. And so, it, <clears throat> so I, she said, oh, so she sees angels. And I thought, well, okay. And then as I looked at it, she would look and smile whenever she would look off to like the sides of different things at home and smile, like when she got older. And so just the other day, we were noticing that she does this in certain places. Like she'll, she'll just stop and she'll look off and be like, what do you see? And she'll just smile and then come back to what you were doing. Wow. And that has stuck with us since then is... Art Moore and I had a whole discussion on like, it's way outside of our Presbyterian ways. <laughs> but why couldn't she see angels? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a little bit of a case of it takes one to know one. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She yeah. is She is a beautiful little girl. She really is. And we, you know, our prayer from the beginning is that God would use her, like when she was in the womb, that God would use her to expand his kingdom. And then we look at like from the beginning of the NICU, like I, it sticks out to me this, my coworker that now prays and remembers that specifically, like he wasn't, he's not a church guy, but he, that was real to him. And in the NICU too, when the day we got the imaging, the news, um, we were like, okay, we, we need to loosen up our grip on this and just invite people in. We just need prayer um, for what this looks like. And I think it was later that day. If that evening. We got a message from a neurologist who... A neurosurgeon. A neurosurgeon. Who was on our prayer, one of the many prayer chains that went out saying, hey, I want to look at these and give you another opinion. And so we've been connected with him ever since so we got him those images he reviewed them and he said well i see what he sees but at the same time i know that she's young and god is way bigger than all of this he said i've been doing this for decades 
and we can't explain everything. And so he said, go forward with, you know, with everything you can do for her, but also with all of that prayer and everything else, God's going to show up. So it's been, it's been 19 months since she has been born. The adventure started a little bit before that, and you have a long ways to go ahead of you. What do you keep in mind to bolster you or to, to hold you up as you move forward in Ruth's life? I've spent the last 18, 19 months practicing daily forgiveness for myself of the what ifs or should I have made different decisions. Uh, and so I've learned abundantly more about God's grace and mercy uh, in the last year and a half than I ever knew possible. Um, but none of us know what the future holds and we're just hopeful and <laughs> Ruth does seem to enjoy being the center of attention. <laughs> well, and we had even said, I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of processing uh, has happened, but that, you know, hindsight, if everything would have gone according to my plan, uh, we would have never known this information until months down the road. Right potentially, and instead we got it at 11 days old. And so right out the gate, we were able to decide that I'm not going back to work. Um, you know, figure out her care plan and her team, and we wouldn't have had that otherwise. And so I think, yeah, just building on that faith. This has been Hill Stories, originating at Chapel Hill Church in Gig Harbor, Washington. The opinions expressed are those of the participants for the edification of our listeners and do not necessarily reflect those of Chapel Hill leadership or the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. If you would like more information or to submit an idea for a future episode, our email address is hillstories at chapelhillpc.org. For everyone here at Chapel Hill, I'm David Wilson. Thank you, and God bless.